0: My mission is simple: to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a boom market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I I'd not want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What happens when the president is distracted by Saudi Arabia, no Fed head of any consequence talks about the need for higher interest rates, and a couple of big capitalization companies report good quarters? You get a rip-snorting bull rally like this one! That was easy. Where the bearish arguments go into hibernation. <laughs> And the bulls have the run of the joint. Bye bye bye! With the Dow surging 548 points, S&P running 2.15 percent. Get this, Nasdaq poll voting 2.89 <laughs> percent. We got to talk about this move. First of all, it's a reminder that when you need to buy stock, you got to buy stocks when everyone else is panicking. You need to do it. <laughs> you got to buy when the market's falling apart and when the market's flying. Anyone who had the bravery to jump in and pick up some high-quality stocks near the lows has already been rewarded with much higher prices. It's why I said and I told you I put the money for uh, my kids to work into index funds in the downturn. It's why we switched directions and told ActionAlertsPlus.com club members that you had to buy something, something, because a panic is a terrible thing to waste. Second, you never, ever, ever, ever sell into the teeth of a big decline. Hey, look, if you hate this market, if you went out, you're getting a much better chance to sell than you would have gotten when things were falling apart last week. You now have my permission to leave. Not that I would take it. This is why I always tell you that panic is not a strategy. A lot of people on Twitter were calling me a moron, if not a chucklehead, because on Thursday night special that I did uh, with Carl, I said I was okay with doing some buying. And then the market sold off the next day. Who's a moron now? (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. Again, if you went out, bye. Go ahead. Take it. Third, the market's still playing by the rules. By that, I mean many of the major indicators I follow work like they're supposed to work like a charm. When the downside volume is so voracious, you often get a snapback rally. I said late last week that the late Mark Haynes always told me that the nine to one downed up volume is too extreme. So you had to do some buying. We got 10 to one, 10 to one down last week. So it was Hey, Mark Haynes-like, terrific buying opportunity. I also use the Standard & Poor's oscillator, and I do pay for it, okay? But it's okay, I've profited from this thing for decades, literally since 87. It's worth every penny. The oscillator measures the level of buying and selling pressure, which means it can tell you when we've gotten overbought or oversold. Overbought meaning it's too hot, oversold meaning, hey, maybe there's a chance to pick something up. Here's how it works. You see, there's a baseline of zero to this oscillator, where there's really no insight, and you're on your own. When the oscillator goes up to three or four, you've got to be a little more cautious. When it gets to five or above, it's imperative that you do some selling. That means that the market, the bulls, have gotten too euphoric, irrational enthusiasm. Karen Kramer, who used to run our trading disc, liked to sell short when the oscillator went over five. She was always drawn to that side of things. She'd look for anything to bet against when we were that overbought, anything. Then she'd wait for the big blow-off down, the subsequent slide, and once the oscillator got to minus 3, blew right through 0, she began begin to cover those short positions she'd put on at plus 5. When it got to minus 5, she always feared a snapback rally, so she'd close out all of her trading shorts, all of them. And when the oscillator goes to even lower, minus 5, say minus 6, 7, boom! She'd force herself to buy something, anything, anything that was at all good. She'd say, let's buy. we got to buy. I said, no, no, she'd buy. Buy, 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 buy. Buy, buy, buy. Yesterday, the oscillator reached those exact buy levels, and it was like a neon sign screaming, Bye, bye, bye. Today, we got the big snapback rally we've been waiting for. What about the fundamentals? What actually drove the move? Oh, yes, it was an absence of negatives. The president didn't bash China. He waited until the end of the day to complain about how interest rates are being jacked up. He didn't call J.P. local, though, although he did say the biggest threat to the economy is a Fed that raises rates too fast. Well, that's, that's exactly what I've been saying, all right? But it's okay. As long as they don't do it, we're good. He's preoccupied with something else. He didn't even feel compelled to talk about more tariffs than the People's Republic. Second, no one from the Fed chose to embarrass themselves by once again calling for three rate hikes in 2019. That kind of language is totally unnecessary, Fed people, as is any discussion about how the Fed chief might need to overshoot to tame inflation. Come on, Jay. I'm not saying that the Fed has learned its lesson, but at least uh, today investors felt safe ignoring our misguided central bankers, and I am a statesman. Third, we got five positive earnings reports from major companies in the morning, and the results were good enough that the pin action boosted entire sectors. Health, Johnson Johnson, Walmart, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs. UNH, the big health insurer, put up staggeringly strong numbers, showing that this company is practically coining money. All aboard! They gave you one of the biggest forecast boosts I've seen in ages. Johnson & Johnson showed that this is still the preeminent pharma company. And by the way, it is pharma that's the heart of the business. It's on fire. More importantly, j pipeline has some incredibly new and useful drugs that can move the needle because each one could add up to maybe even a billion-dollar revenue stream. Walmart told us the same-store sales are running better than expected. Hey, that's terrific to hear at a time when so many investors are worried about consumers pulling in their horns. Dollar stores are strong, too. Rumors of Icon with Dollar Tree. Uh, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs both reported good numbers. Now, when the other banks reported good numbers, their stocks sold off. Goldman and Morgan Stanley, their stocks were crushed too, at least initially. Then we got one of those upon further review moments where investors realized, wait a second, we're giving away all these stocks. They're selling at incredibly low multiples. They're too cheap. And that's why Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs stocks rebounded like crazy, taking up the entire group. Finally, here's the most amazing thing. Last night, we got a very positive pre-announcement from Adobe, the cloud-based technology company that's rapidly becoming a de facto platform for the world's digital commerce. When Shantan and Orion, frequent guest on the show, Adobe's very very smart CEO, gave a forecast that included 20% revenue, or 20% for this huge company, the entire cloud group ignited from the get-go. Staggering revenue guide, totally unexpected. Which brings me to the next day, the one that's starting this evening. Last night when the market was really looking ugly, a cell program came in near the bell, knocked all of tech down. Almost as soon as the cell program was over, Adobe pre-announced the positive last night. It was like throwing acetylene on a minus seven oscillator fire. And the result is today's bullish configuration and this evening's further fire. Get this. We had some terrific numbers just now. Remember all the obituary writers for Fang and Plebe? There was everyone was an obituary writer. It was like a coroner's inquest. Be careful. Netflix reported incredible subscriber growth. 32% better for international, 62% stronger for domestic. How good is Reed? Is he like dino or what? Now, that's crazy good. And as I said this morning, if Netflix is good, all of Fang, even the lagging Facebook, which I now kind of like, will trade higher. They'll trade higher tomorrow. A few weeks ago, we spoke to Oscar Munoz. He's, uh, uh, he told us that United Continental is doing so well. He should know. He's the CEO. Nice Arbinger. Spectacular numbers this evening. Lamb Research, which makes equipment to build semiconductors, reported its first beaten ages. Now, its stock it was down 21% coming in the quarter, so it could uh, be an encouraging sign for the lagging semi-division. In fact, only IBM disappointed, and sadly, that's become a bit of a pattern. It won't end tomorrow. So here's the bottom line. When the Fed Bears are away. The stock bulls will play, including healthcare, banks, and most important, tech. Oh, and once again, the Fang haters are flummoxed. These apostates just don't get it. As long as the Fed doesn't mandate a slowdown, you get what we had today and what I bet we could have tomorrow. And it's the Cloud King and friends leading the way. I'm going to Juan in California. Juan, booyah, Jim, and thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, I'm really curious. Yeah, really curious to get your thoughts on a relatively new REIT. It's been around since 2016. IIPR uh, focuses on medicinal cannabis, and it has a really unique buy and lease back model focused on existing businesses. So really would love your thoughts. Yeah, you know, I've looked at this company, and I, I feel like this is one of those companies that is uh, overheated. It's up 34%. I think you can come down a little. Uh, it has a 3% yield. That's not enough to intrigue this guy. Uh, it's had. It's kind of, I don't know. I don't want to chase. Let's go to Jan in Washington. Jan.
1: Hi, Jim. I'm calling regarding the five Power Play segment recommendations you made yesterday. Indeed. You recommended two refiners, Marathon and Valero, but you did not mention Phillips 66. And I wanted to know what you think about Phillips 66, given that over 50% of their businesses in refining and they're consistently buying back about a billion in stock a year increasing their dividends by double digits and continuously expanding How? their natural gas products export capacity.
0: How much does Jan know? How smart are our viewers? Jan, I've got to tell you, I was a bit arbitrary and capricious. I didn't want to put three refiners in because I thought it would take away from the power index. But you know what? Phillips 66 is excellent. Yes, I do like Gary Hemminger and what he's done at Marathon Pete. Valero versus Phillips 66 was a very tough call and we went with Valero. But I like your thinking. And you know what? Highest compliment? Jan's got Horse sense right, this is the most deserved but also despised rally that we've been waiting for we were due but it may not be sustainable i don't know i uh, i think that we at least have to give it till the morning after that fabulous netflix call oh man money tonight domino's just delivered something investors aren't used to digesting a revenue miss i don't know i like money to get a pie i don't like to talk to people are just order hey it's a Okay, that's how you do it, Apple Watch. Then the healthcare space is one of the best performing sectors so far this year. But where are the individual stocks stand? Don't miss my power rankings they were just alluded to when it came to the energy patch. And Wall Street's fear gauge hit its highest level since February. With the market bouncing back, is the pain a thing of the past? You don't want to miss this. I'm going off the charts. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. just now to the stock of Domino's pizza. On a day when nearly everything screamed higher, the stock plunged more than 13 bucks or nearly 5% in the wake of what was widely viewed as a mixed quarter. Now, Domino's has been one of the greatest growth stories in the restaurant industry, if not the whole world. Between the company's fabulous technology for online ordering and its rapid international expansion, there's been a lot to like here. But the numbers we got this morning weren't as good as we were looking for. Hey, they weren't perfect, and maybe that's the problem. While Domino's delivered a monster 20-cent earnings beat off $1.75 basis, the revenues came in a tad light. As for the same-store sales, you know, that's our key metric. The domestic numbers came in at 6.3%. Some of us were looking for 7%, even as international numbers were in line, up 3. percent and that's why the stock got slammed today. So we've got to ask ourselves, is it really a temporary blip, a buyable one? Or maybe we need to be a little more concerned. Let's take a close look with Rich Allison, the new CEO of Domino's Peace, to learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Allison, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me back.
0: Okay, Rich, sometimes I wonder, I mean, because I read your release, I was on the college call. I mean, you, you're doing so much better than everybody else. But at the same time, the expectations because of the performance your company has delivered are so high that I have to say to myself, well, you only did 6.3% domestic. I was looking for seven. What's with that shortfall when 63 is pretty darn good? So maybe you can put it in a context for our, you know, our retail investors who are not looking at some spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, Jim, you know, we were really happy with the quarter. You know, if you start with retail sales growth, you know, uh, on constant currency terms, we were up more than 10 percent, feeling great about the growth of the brand overall. And in the U.S., specifically on the comps, we were very happy with 6.3 percent. You know, that was rolling over an 8.4 from the uh, third quarter a year ago. So I have to say, you know, we're really happy with uh, with the results.
0: Now, if we want to take a look, uh, here's something that BTIG pointed out. Operating margin decreased 130 basis points to 16.8%. Lower company store and supply chain margins partially offset by uh, uh, some of your costs. Now, when I'm, you know, company store margins decreased 160 basis points. Are these numbers that I should be concerned about? Anytime we get any sort of margin compression, I'm always uh, a bit concerned.
1: Yeah Jim, you know, we're not concerned about any long-term structural issues around the margins. You know, sh- uh, certainly, you know, there are labor costs and other pressures out there in the marketplace, but you know, we feel very good about the overall profitability, most importantly at the store level where the cash-on-cash cash returns remain very strong, and then, of course, at the company level overall also.
0: Right. Now, I was concerned about labor costs, but I thought that maybe the best metric to look at was number of stores open versus closed. Why would you open a store if you were so constrained by labor?
1: Absolutely right, Jim. You know, the best, uh, the best measure of the health of the brand is that our franchisees choosing to put their capital into Domino's Pizza. You know, and what we saw you know, over the course of the quarter and frankly throughout the course of the year is very strong uh, unit openings and a very low number of closures. You know, we've closed in the U.S. only seven stores through the first three quarters of this year, which I think makes a remarkable statement, you know, about the profitability of the business and also about the commitment of our franchisees.
0: I also want you to speak to the cash flow here because they may, the analysts may be unhappy about some point five this or that, but it's six percent comp store sales. Your company's making a ton of money, right?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, great cash flow, great stable cash flow uh, through the business, uh, Jim, and, you know, uh, on both the international side of the business and on the domestic side of the business. So, yes, we're very happy with the results there.
0: Okay. Now, uh, because I'm so closely identified with Domino's, I put on Twitter, I said, does anybody have any questions? Of course, there's always wise guys who say, can I have double cheese? But uh, Pat Brisky asked a question I thought was interesting. He goes, how does Domino's plan on capitalizing on Papa John's woes? And I know it was addressed somewhat in the call, but I'll put it to you from what my Twitter file says.
1: Sure, Jim, it's a really fragmented category, as you know. We're the market share leader in pizza, but we still only sell about one out of every six pizzas in the U.S. So we're staying focused on our strategy uh, and our execution and not really on the you know, short-term ups and downs of any one uh, particular competitor. If we stay focused on the things that we've been doing, then we're going to continue to take share from competitors, small and large, across the industry.
0: But I would say that if we were talking about, let's say this was Amazon and we're talking pizza, I would say technologically you continue to pull ahead. I think the hotspot ads were terrific. How did hotspot do for the summer?
1: You know, it was terrific, uh, Jim. You know, it's just another great way that we're engaging our customers. You know, a lot of restaurant players and a lot of players in pizza, you know, are constant members in the product of the month club. And we got out of that club a long time ago and started focusing on things that were interesting and innovative that we could do to engage our customers. Hotspots is another one of those. Shows our customers, we're so crazy about pizza, we're gonna take their pizza to them anytime, any place they wanna get it.
0: Now, there are some costs that are coming down. I'm conscious of the fact that because I follow the paper industry very closely and corrugated, corrugated is coming down because there's excellent uh, more capacity coming on. Not every single uh, food item is going up in price. Are you guys able to handle the inflationary pressures okay?
1: Yes, you know we're we're still very much within uh, our expected range, you know in terms of uh, of cost increases over the course of the year, you know we what we have been saying is in that two to four percent range, and we're still very much in that range. so we feel good about uh, about how we're managing those costs and most importantly, you know, feel good uh, on a continued basis about the margins and the returns for our franchisees.
0: Is there anything else that you can do in automation short of autonomous vehicles that you're cooking up or is that just asking for too much to, explode, to give us all that money?
1: You know, we're we're working on a lot of things, uh, Jim. You know, autonomous vehicles are certainly one thing that we've been working on. We've talked to you in the past about DOM, uh, our artificial intelligence natural voice system. We're still piloting that that in uh, some of our corporate stores. It's learning, it's growing, it's getting better. You know, and we announced on the call this morning, we just recently rolled out within our stores a voice inventory app that our team members can use For one of the most unpleasant tasks they have, which is at at the end of a shift, they've got to go count the the food that we have in the walk-in cooler. And this makes that job easier and faster for them.
0: Well, terrific. I think that uh, to call this a miss, is just the kind of thing that Wall Street does. Main Street knows when there's an opportunity. Thank you so much to Richard Allison. He's the CEO of Domino's Pizza. Another good quarter. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop in to Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. In this ridiculously volatile market, it's more important than ever you actually know what the heck you need to know. You need to know the best stocks in each sector. If you want to take advantage of days like today and avoid getting blown out when the market starts pulling back again, which a lot of people think will happen, okay? And that's why we've been rolling out these power rankings for every sector in the S&P 500, identifying the stocks with the best prospects as we head into the end of the year. And we're going to keep updating these and bring them back to you so you know every time the market's down what to do. Next up, one of my absolute favorite sectors, healthcare, the second largest group in the S&P, accounting for 15% of the index. If, like me, you're worried about a Fed mandated slowdown. Of course, they didn't speak today, so we didn't have to worry that much. You absolutely need some healthcare stocks in your portfolio. It's a terrific industry. This is a group of stocks that doesn't need a strong economy in order to thrive. When you get sick, you go to the doctor, for heaven's sake. You don't stop taking medicine just because the economy slows down. Just like the consumer staples, the healthcare names are as close as it gets to recession proof. So it's no wonder that healthcare has been one of the best-performing sectors in the stock market, up 12.5% for the year because people feel we're at the end of the cycle and the Fed is coming down on us to slow it slow it even further. We've got no shortage of winners to choose from in this group. Simply looking at the strongest performers gives you a pretty expansive list. At the top one goes one that we've liked for a long time, but I haven't had it on. That's Abiumed. And that is the, uh, is the medical device maker that created the world's first totally artificial heart replacement with a stock That more than doubled year to date thanks to a series of blowout quarters. Next up, you got WellCare, managed care provider focused on government sponsored health plans. HCA, The hospital chain, Boston Scientific, another big medical device maker we've liked, and then Kramer Uberfave Align Technology, which you may know as a maker of Invisalign braces. It's still up more than 50% for the year, even as the stock has been pummeled in the past few weeks on rumors of intense competition. I don't see it coming. Rounding out the top 10, there's Illumina, which is all about gene sequencing, Intuitive Surgical, longtime Kramer Fave maker of surgical robots, IDEX Laboratories, veterinary diagnostic equipment, and Centene, which is another managed care play focused on government health care plans and then Envision. That's a healthcare care provider that just got acquired by KKR. But you know what? If you only look at the performance, that's like judging a football team based on a short term win loss record rather than evaluating the factors that may have changed over the course of the season which is where these power rankings come in. So where do the healthcare stocks stand in Kramer's power rankings? Well, let's put them down. Remember, we're going to update these. These are the best of the best. So when the market sells off, this is a remarkable place to put money. My favorite here is one that I haven't talked about nearly enough, and that's my bad. It's HCA HealthCare. That's up 54% year-to-date. Now, I recommended HCA a couple of months ago at 129. It's run up to 141 exactly one week ago before the market-wide meltdown. Today, it's trading at more than 135. You know what? I'm calling this one a steal at these levels. I kicked it around with the ActionAlertsPlus.com club uh, with Jeff Marks and Zeb Fema. We think that this could be a great addition to any portfolio. thesis is simple. HCA runs a chain of roughly 300 hospitals and surgery centers located in rapidly growing metropolitan areas. These are areas where the consumer is feeling more affluent, and when people have more money in their pockets, they pay up for health care. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're much more likely to let things slide. Maybe you skip your physical, or you don't get the funny-looking mold checked out. Please do. Even though I'm worried about a Fed-mandated slowdown here, employment remains very strong, and that's what matters for HCA, which is why the company had very strong volume growth this year, with patients getting more expensive procedures. That's really important because there's are considered to be, at some levels, elected. On top of that, HCA has a beautiful balance sheet. That's incredible, given that it was an LBO not that long ago. What kind of cash do they spew? And it's very well run. Oh, and if this upcoming election turns out to be a de- getting a Democratic wave, that's very good news for health care providers. Just as Republicans are a party of tax cuts. Democrats are the party of spending more on health care. Best of all, HCA is absurdly cheap. I can't believe even after this run, it sells for just 13.5 times next year's earning assessments. Company reports in two weeks. I bet you you like what HCA has to say. Second, there's Idex Labs. Well, wow, this is no stranger to you, right? The veterinary diagnostics company that I've been recommending for years as a play on the humanization of pets. Remember, people are spending more and more money to keep their companion animals help, happy and healthy. We tried to throw everything we could at Bug before we had to put bugs to sleep. I totally understood this. We were not price sensitive, nor was anybody else at the vet that when we were there. Now, this is where IDEX comes in. As CEO Jonathan Ayers explained the last time he came on the show, pets.
1: The diagnostics is sort of the voice of the pet. And what our innovation does is it expands their vocabulary so they can tell us more about their health status.
0: That's so true. And boy, do we ever wish that we knew what was going on inside their bodies, don't we? All right, now, thanks to the recent sell-off, Idex has come down 12% from its highs, even after today's magnificent 9% rebound. But the fundamentals here remain very strong. And while the stock is still pretty pricey, that's because Idex has a turbocharged growth rate. The company reports on November 1st. I would pick some up before they report. Third, let's not forget one of my absolute favorites, and I've felt this way ever since I got the machine demonstrated to me when I did a fundraiser for the local hospital. It's Intuitive Surgical. The medical device stocks have been fabulous long-term winners. Intuitive Surgical occupies a very attractive niche here. The robotic-assisted surgery machines help doctors perform more procedures with better outcomes, fewer mishaps. In fact, the company practically invented this business with its Da Vinci surgical system. While we keep seeing lots of new entrants in the robotic surgery space, Intuitive Surgical remains my favorite, and I'll tell you why. These companies all have a razor, razor blade business model. They sell you the machine, expensive, but then you really need to buy these new consumables every time you use it, which is where the real money gets made. That's why we call it the Razor Razor Blade Model. Intuitive Surgical has the largest installed base of surgery systems. They have the most razors, so they sell the most blades. On top of that, we could be looking at an upgrade cycle starting very soon as hospitals replace their older machines with newer models. This one reports Thursday night. Given the major pullback in the stock over the past week, I suggest putting on a small position before the quarter. Fourth is old favorite, Centene. That's another one that we've been behind. It's a, a Michael Nydorf, the CEO, has been a frequent guest on the show. Centene is a health pa- plan provider that gets most of its business from government-sponsored programs like Medicare and Medicaid. The stock has been a spectacular long-term performer. I think it's got a lot more room to run. Why? A few months ago, Centene bought Fidelis Care for $3.75 billion dollars giving them a ton of exposure to government-sponsored health plans in New York. In the past, this company has proven to be a very effective acquirer. I bet this time will be no different, even though this is New York's a very tough area of to right insurance. But that's okay. Centene knows how to do it. And, oh, we, and next year, they're moving into Pennsylvania, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Basically, Centene knows what it's good at. And they've expanded these offerings to cover as many people as possible. company reports next Tuesday. And while I like it here, I would like it even more on a pullback, particularly a post earnings pullback. But maybe we get one, just something right now with the market that people don't like. Uh, because you know what? It just had a huge day. Fifth and finally, and I can't believe this came in fifth because it's such a great company United Health Group. It's our number five on our healthcare power rankings. This is a stock that I've loved for ages. In fact, of all these, this is the one that my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the actionalertsplus.com club, owns. And thanks in part to today's terrific 4.7% gain, we're up more than 25% of the position. And you know what? I don't think this one's done going higher. UNH is the best run managed care provider in America. But my favorite part of this business isn't even the insurance component. It's Optum, O P T U M. That's a division that's part pharmacy benefits manager and part provider of software, consulting, and business practice outsourcing for the rest of the healthcare industry. UNH reported a monster quarter this very morning. Really helped set the tone for the whole day. I bet, though, they're going to tell a very good story at their analyst day next month. That's going to be another reason to own the stock. Look, I hope the stock pulls back. There hasn't been any real weakness in the stock. Even if you get an eight-point decline, you got to take it. The bottom line, you can't go wrong with some healthcare exposure here with the Fed going to squawk soon, we know, and talking about the three more hikes on top of December. So here we go. HCA, the hospital changed. IDEX Labs, which is immunization of pets. Intuitive Surgical, which is an amazing razor, razor blade device. Michael Nydor, Centene, been really able to make a lot of money where other people can't. And then United Health, which is the best run health insurer in the country. That's a lot working for you in the sector. I think it will keep working regardless of what happens to the broader economy. But oh boy, if J PAL sticks to the four rate hikes, bye, bye, bye. Barbara in California, Barbara. Hey, Jim, a big booyah from La Jolla, California, and from my great WhatsApp trading group. We love watching you, Jim. Uh, WhatsApp trading group? Wait a second. Barbara, what else are you guys buying here? Well, we've been buying Tandem
1: Diabetes, as well as, happy to say, Netflix. Thank
0: goodness.
1: (laughs) My question is this. Tandem.
0: What do you think? It's up Oh, over a you thousand. know I love this group. I mean, you know, my favorite is Dexcom. And then I like Abbott. Wow, Abbott looked great today. Uh, Dexcom, of course, has been such a winner. My friends who have the G6, it's kind of like they feel like it's a gold stream. They love it so much, up $8. But you know what? Yours is good, too. It is a big enough market for everybody. And, by the way, congratulations on Netflix. Others gave up on it. Other people buried Fang. Other people decided that Fang was dead. You know what? Wrong! John in New Jersey. John. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from South Brunswick, New Jersey. South Brunswick. Curry close to J&J, one of our biggest picks. What's going on? Hey, man. Anyone who's been touched in some way by cancer has to be intrigued by the technology of tumor-treating fields being developed by Novacure. The stock has had a great run, but is off a high of almost
1: 54, despite being up over $2 today. On October 25th, they're due for the earnings announcement. And although earnings are important for this company, I believe the results of their clinical trials
0: are more important. And lately, there's been a dearth of news regarding these. I suspect that at the earnings call, we may hear more about the trials than the actual earnings. My question for you is that you've been positive about the company in the past. So I was wondering if you think we should begin to accumulate a position going into the earnings call, Or should we wait until after the call? I think you're going to have to wait. First of all, thank you. Yes, John, and we've been very closely identified because uh, one of my late friends uh, was able to get several years more life from Novacure. So we're not backing away. It's a long-term good situation. It's only a $4 billion company. I think that that's absurd if this technology is as powerful as I've seen it demonstrated with at least brain cancer. Thank you for the call. In a market like this one, you need to know the best stocks in each sector. And when it comes to healthcare, you now got the names that will keep working. Pick one. We get the sell-off. Buy it. Much more mad money ahead. What does the market fear index tell us about how long today's rally could last? Uh Uh-oh. Tracking down the technical signs may not be all that positive. Then tomorrow's a watershed day for cannabis stocks. I'll tell you how to approach the group ahead of Canada's legalization. You're probably not going to like it. And all your calls. Robin fire. Tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with with the averages surging today up a staggering 548 points kind of wonder if this move is sustainable in other words is it possible that we've already bottomed or do you need to be suspicious about this bounce this is a tough question especially with earnings all over the place tonight so we're going to go off the charts with Mark Sebastian. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com, as well as being my colleague who writes with me at RealMoney.com, where I've got a lot of good writers, good stable. But you get a better read on where the market might be headed. Sebastian's our resident expert on the volatility index, the VIX for short, also known as the fear gauge. Historically, this has been a great way to measure the overall level of panic in the stock market. The VIX works by measuring what's known as the implied volatility of the S&P 500 options over the next month. Basically, institutional investors like to buy puts and calls as a kind of insurance against wild swings in the market. So while they expect a lot of volatility, the price of that insurance goes up, put insurance at least. When they expect less volatility, the price of insurance goes down. And that's what makes the VIX such a good tell. Are people paying up for protection? When Sebastian looks at the current situation, what does he say? First and foremost, Sebastian says, don't get your hopes up. When it comes to sell-offs, there's a common misconception, misconception, that the peak in panic takes place at the exact bottom. Historically speaking, that's not the case. Normally, panic peaks at the first bottom. Then we have a bounce. That doesn't mean stocks won't go even lower. It's just that the pain stops being surprising. In other words, he thinks we could easily retest last week's lows as great as it felt today. So let's take a look at the last few sell-offs to see how this plays out. We're going to start with a big meltdown in January and February, okay? Remember this right before the Super Bowl? Take a a close look at this pair of charts, the S&P 500 and the volatility index, or VIX, going back to the beginning of the year. Now, before we get into details, remember how this is supposed to work. In a normal market, the VIX and the S&P tend to move in opposite directions, okay? When the market's rising, the cost of volatility insurance goes down. When the market's falling, the cost of volatility insurance goes up. However, that normal correlation can change when we approach a top or a bottom. And this is one of the things Sebastian's always looking for. So the late January, early February breakdown. Let's take a close look at this, all right? Back then, the interest rates soared, right? Interest rates soared, remember that? The stock market tank, the VIX soared higher. So does that sound familiar or what? The main difference is that in February, traders had crowded into all these inverse volatility instruments. We used to talk about them all the time. No one even talks about them anymore at all, but they did cause all sorts of havoc as the gains were wiped out in the blink of an eye. But the important thing here is the trajectory. Sebastian points out that the VIX peaked before the market bottomed. Okay, so here it peaked. You have to take a look at this. See, it peaked before the bottom. All right, that's very important. We had a temporary bottom on February 5th, That was where the panic reached a fever pitch. Then the VIX came back down, okay, and so did the S&P 500, making an even lower low. When the S&P hit its actual bottom on February 8th, the VIX ended up making a lower high. In fact, this is one of the tells Sebastian watches for when he's trying to call a bottom, and he's very adept for us at calling bottoms. If the market goes down and the VIX doesn't spike to new highs, that's the sign the pain might be over. But the point here is that as at least in February, the peak in the VIX came before the S&P's absolute bottom. See, okay. Now let's take a trip in the wayback machine to another volatile, vicious time. Let's look at the September, the uh, summer of 2015. That was the China market breakdown. You have to go back that far to find another extended panic. Notice you see that same pattern developing. The VIX peaked on October, on August 24th. See, it surged to above uh, to 40. Okay which is a very high level for the volatility index, the S&P actually bottomed the next day, right there, August 25th. And what happened to the VIX? It went lower that day, closing at 36. Once again, the markets stopped getting hit when the S&P fell to a new low, but the VIX did not rise. So in other words, what you would have seen would be this if the market was going to go still lower. Of course, it's not always the way it works. Sometimes we'll have a short-term one-off decline where the market makes a V-bottom, right, a V-shaped bottom very quick. And those circumstances, Sebastian says, the VIX tends to peak just as the market's hitting its ultimate lows. That is not helpful, right? I mean, when, hey, look, I don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, and that's the VIX. And that is what happened in the summer of 2016 when we had the big Brexit meltdown. Over a period of two days, the stock market tanked, okay? And the VIX surged higher. Uh, peaking about a day in, and then dropping. Then the market rebounded like crazy. But for Sebastian, the crucial piece of the puzzle here is that most investors didn't really lose any money in the Brexit panic, as long as they didn't sell anything. If you were on vacation that week and you came back, you just missed a few sessions after Brexit, it was like the decline never happened, and you got a real quick bounce back. Very different from the sell-off in August of 2015 and February of this year, where even, it was weeks, weeks, or even months to pick up the losses. So what about brings us to the horrific breakdown we just had? Was this a February-style beating or a quick Brexit-style panic we can easily recover from. When Sebastian looks at the, at the pair of charts, the VIX and the S&P 500, he, does, he's, he doesn't see a V from Brexit days, market sold off for six straight days. What matters here? While today's up action looks fabulous, Sebastian points out that it doesn't mean the pain is over. We've seen plenty of sell-offs where we bounce dramatically and then go right back down. Remember, we just had a nice run on Friday, and some of those gains evaporated yesterday in the late afternoon. Today we're melting up. Sebastian thinks that the volatility index has peaked for the moment. But as we saw in February and in the summer of 2015, the day where the VIX peaks is not necessarily the day where the S&P 500 bottoms. After yesterday, you can't say we're rebounding in a straight line. That's why Sebastian believes there's a strong chance that this market will retest last week's lows, probably go lower even. He does not think we've seen the bottom. In short, when Sebastian looks at this market, he sees a lot of similarities with the February collapse. This is what February might have looked like had we hadn't had all those crazy VIX instruments blowing up. And that's why he predicts that the averages will test their lows sometime next week. Mm, Okay. However, once that happens, you know what he says? He says we'll be able to get a sustainable rebound, a huge one. And He wouldn't be surprised if the S&P 500 racing toward new all-time highs by the end of the year. But before that move can begin, he expects to see one more shakeout. Boom and then boom. Okay. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by our resident fix expert, Mark Sebastian, suggest that you may want to curb your enthusiasm at the moment. While today's run was certainly encouraging, Sebastian says we need to have one more leg down before this market can actually view. My view at bottom. I, I don't know makes some sense. I guess I just thought that today's rally was a little more convincing. All right, so stick with Kramer. It is time. So <laughs> for the late, we're going to go to a round of four. one of those today. And then the light round's over. Are you ready, skate? Time for the light round. Cause I'm gonna start with Amy in Nevada. Amy. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Amy. How about you? I'm great. Thank you for taking my call. Of today. course. Um I wanted to thank you a couple of weeks ago over ADT. You said get out of it. Thank you so much. I got yeah, out yeah. of it before it went even down. Not a great one. Get out very much. Thank you. Uh,
1: Today, I'm interested in Kratos, K-P-O-S. No, no, I
0: really appreciate it. Thank you for the comment. This stock is up too much. We got a nice hit in this one, and we are moving on to the next. So let's not do that. If you want a defense stock, I prefer Raytheon, which we tell club members is very good. Let's go to Richard in Arizona. Richard! Richard!
1: Thank you for taking my call. Of course. And I'd also like to extend to you a warm welcome from the Valley of the
0: Sun. There you go. Sun Devil, what's up? I own uh, Energy Transfer
1: Partners, and I'd like your information on to either buy more. Hold, no, you know retail. what? It, it
0: Yields ten. I know it's uh, they're doing a lot of things to make the structure better. It is still too risky for me, but I understand why people would want to be attracted to it. That's all I have to say about it. Let's go to Lisa in Indiana. Lisa, hi Jim. Thank you for all
1: of your advice. What is your take on BlackRock? Right. I don't now? know. I mean, you the stock
0: 10. got hit today, down eighteen. It's at the 52-week low. It's got some of the best people on earth working there. I am certainly not going to count in selling Larry Fink's stock at a 3% yield. So I say hold on. We're not done. I'm going to Tom in New Jersey. Tom. Hi, Jim. Tommy from New Jersey. Hey, listen. First, I want to thank you for giving me the skills to make my financial dreams come true. And that's we want to teach a man to fish. Go ahead. Thank you. All right, buddy. Uh, What's your thoughts on JetBlue? You know what? I like Continental. I like United Continental, even up five. And I've chosen not to represent, not to really push any other of the uh, airlines until I get better data. But JetBlue would be after I would like United Continental, and then I would go with American, then I would go with Delta, and then I would go with JetBlue, and not before that. It's too dicey for me. One more. Let's go to Leo in Utah. Leo.
1: Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I'm interested in TXMD.
0: TXMD is a little too speculative for this guy. You know, this is the one we have Products for Women. We've had them on a bunch of times. It's been at $5 for too long. I say go high quality here, and that's not one of them. It's okay, but it's not high quality enough. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Along the way today, it's almost here. Tomorrow, Canada legalizes cannabis. I think this will be a watershed day for weed, but it's also leading to waterfall of marijuana stocks. As Johnny Come Lately, buyers try to catch the wave. I know all these stocks got hit today. It's all right. Everything related to the Canadian cannabis space has already run up dramatically, and I'm worried that many of these companies aren't even worth speculating on. In fact, some of them might not even be all, let's say, on the up and up as they lack the kind of transparency we normally expect from a public company's financials. I think there could be a lot of disappointment <laughs> once it turns out that legal marijuana is a lot less profitable than illegal marijuana. But if I'm so negative about many of these stocks, why the heck have we brought cannabis up a day after day after day? Let me take down the reasons. First, I think that legal marijuana might be the most disruptive force since Amazon. That's right. When you look at every industry where pot could potentially compete, there might be as much as a half a trillion dollars in sales that are going to be disrupted. Everything from carbonated beverages, beer, sports drinks, tea, coffee, tobacco, snacks, all sorts of medications. Let's be honest. Millions of people have been smoking pot for decades. We have a pretty good idea what it does. I believe we'll soon see studies showing that it's a better, safer way to fall asleep than most sleeping pills. I bet we'll see studies demonstrating that it does more to reduce swelling than pretty much anything else in the market. It might be an alternative to tobacco. It certainly is an alternative to an epidemic of opioids. Granted, we don't really know how marijuana will be regulated or even how it should be regulated. We don't know when legalization might happen here in the U.S., which is the real opportunity. But I think this is going to be a gigantic force for profit much larger than the industry's collective $35 billion market cap, down from about 40 a few minutes ago. However, there are really only a handful of companies with the scale to take advantage of that opportunity, which brings me to my favorite, Canopy Growth. A $12 billion company that Constellation Brands has taken a very large stake in. And yes, when it was up nine, I did fret about it, okay? That's my job to fret when something's up nine. Constellation's given Canopy a $4 billion war chest so it can take the Canadian cannabis industry by storm, starting tomorrow. Will Canopy stock get hit again? I don't know. It's down 6.8% today, even as the rest of the market exploded higher. But I think that Canopy is one of the few marijuana stocks that can be bought. Why? Because it's New York Stock Exchange listed with the blessing of a very well-run large-cap beer and liquor company, Constellation. Hey, while I'm at it, can I just say the Constellation may be the cheapest cannabis stock of all? As Canopy CEO Bruce Linton told me at a teach-in I led this weekend, it's possible that one day the weed business could make up a huge part of Constellation's market cap, especially as the stigma disappears and the institutional investors come in. Of course, I don't know how long that will take to happen. When Canopy stock opened for trading on the New York Stock Exchange in a break with tradition, the exchange wouldn't let Canopy ring the actual bell. What they do may be about to... I don't know what they'll do with them. It's about to become legal in Canada, but it's still not legal here. However, once legalization goes into effect and cannabis cohort cools, when there's no instant pot at the end of the rainbow, I think Canopy will be the cannabis stock that the big institutions reach for. If you don't own it, I recommend waiting for it to go a tad lower, maybe you can get it below 50, which is a good price and less sizzling than it was last night, which disturbed me. Right now, the entire group's overheated as we saw today. But as they come down, remember the Canopy and Constellations, they're the ones to buy. Stick with Kramer. Remember how money is indexed. There's a bunch of ETFs that circle around Netflix, of all things. Netflix up big. You're going to see the rest of Fang go higher. Hey, don't forget, Facebook seems to have stabilized. I'm not kidding. Like I said, there's always a market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.